Hey guys, just before we jump into the episode, today we would like to acknowledge the traditional custodians of the land on which we record this podcast today. We pay our respects to the elders past and present and we extend that respect to Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander people here today. This episode is brought to you by the Psych Collaborative, our online psychology clinic bringing good quality accessible therapy to you in the comfort of your own home. Hello everybody, welcome back to another episode. My name is Kat, I am a registered psychologist. And I'm Amy, a clinically registered psychotherapist. And together we are the Psychology Sisters. <laughs> <laughs> Woohoo! Team Rocket! <laughs> we are a podcast dedicated to normalizing the mental health conversation. My darling, clinically registered Team Rocket teammate, how are you? How's life? Give me the update. Oh, I am I am wonderful. Thank you so much for asking. We are out of lockdown, which has been really, really lovely. Nice to just have that choice, although not much in my life has changed. I've gone to the gym and the shops a couple of times. No, I have gone out with friends, which has been lovely. Um, we went dancing last weekend. We went dancing, which was so fun. So fun, but I think it's illegal. I'm going on the record now. Josh was like, oh. I don't know if you guys are allowed to dance last week. We oh. went out at a venue guys a licensed venue that allowed us to dance which which was really fun illegal perhaps but oh. we had a really great oh. time we kept our distance <laughs> oh, are we are we bad <laughs> you know what I don't want to say it but I think we are I think I we're think a we little bit too. naughty. No, it was legally allowed. Everyone was Look, we're really not badass. We're, we're really not naughty. We really follow the rules. We kept our distance. We didn't grind on each other. We kept a 1.5-metre distance of working. It was, no, it was so fun. But, yeah, sorry, I totally snowballed your story then. No, it was a great snowball. Loved that. It was a, it was a fun ride to, to a little trip down memory lane, if you will. Um, no, it was great. I've been, I've been really good. Our work has been wonderful. And coming up to summer, I've noticed a, a big shift in mood and energy, which has been wonderful too. Just the warmer weather. We've had really, really nice weather where we are, which has been good just to you know, have little lunch breaks in the sun and go for walks and have a little bit more time in the afternoon with daylight savings, a, a little bit more life in the afternoon, which has been really great. How have you been, my darling Katniss? I'm good. I'm good. I Since the last time episode, which, yep, sorry, guys, we took a mini unexpected hiatus. I have moved into a new house and I've turned 30. So, I mean, <laughs> a lot's happened. A bit overwhelmed with all of those things. But, no, I am good. It's finally settling into my new home. And, which is beautiful. And, yeah, beautiful, just beautiful assembling home. furniture and... All the fun stuff that comes with a new home. So I'm very lucky to be here, but I'm also a bit mm. tired. I think, you know, when you have a date in mind to like just keep going, just keep going, just keep going. Mine was the weekend after I moved in. And like after that weekend, it's like when you're, on sc when you're at school and you get to week 10 and you're like, you just need to get to week 10. And then as soon mm. as holidays hit, you get so sick and you're exhausted. That's how I felt. I had this date. I was like, keep going, keep going, keep going. And just then, keep swimming. Just keep swimming. And then the Monday after I was drowning. So, mm. yeah, I am feeling very stoked that it's summer. Yes. But I'm also prioritizing a bit of work-life balance these last few weeks, which has been amazing. So, yeah, I've had a good few weeks just resting, recovering. 
Beautiful, beautiful. What is your pit and peak, my dear friend? Oh, my goodness. Okay. My pitch would be that, oh, Ames, I'm not going to tell the furniture story. I feel like that's so oh, long-winded. please. It's so funny. Oh, in a nutshell, in a nutshell. Okay. In a nutshell. Guys, guys, I got a, got a real giggle out of this. <laughs> oh, I'm so embarrassed by this. But anyway, so I was telling Ains off mic, I got some new lounges delivered. And yay, new lounges, new furniture, love them. But as I was sitting on them, Josh, my partner, he's quite tall, well, tall compared to me. And he sat down on them and the lounges were really low. <laughs> like he was really like, oh, these are really nice, babe, but practically I don't, they're just quite low. Like imagine if, you know, someone a bit older came and they couldn't get off the couch. I was like, Jesus Christ, <laughs> like, oh, my God, I've created a monster. Do you watch Grace and Frankie? No. Oh, Grace and Frankie's so good. If anyone watches Grace and Frankie, it's like where she can't get off the toilet. It's like that similar worry that I had. I was like, oh, my God. Anyway, that aside, I was like, you know what? That's so not okay. Imagine if Josh and I were in our 80s and we ordered these beautiful couches and we couldn't get off the couch. Like, not okay. So I was like, that, I'm going to send an email and I'm going to just make, I'm just going <laughs> to double check like that this is the right proportions because this, yeah, this doesn't, yeah. Anyway, so I went on the website and I was like, oh, they're 10 centimeters lower than what they should be. Like, I was like, okay, not okay. Cat whips out the measuring tape, I, measures them. I took a photo of me measuring the couch. <laughs> God, I hate myself so much. And I sent it to the company that I ordered the couches of. And I was like, um, I don't know if you think you sent me a faulty couch. Uh, I don't know if you've sent me the wrong model, but this is not okay. Sent them the picture of me measuring the goddamn couch, which is 10 centimetres lower I than love, what it should have been. I love the addition of the picture. I sent a picture. I sent a picture of me just like couch. measuring it. You know, just in case they thought I was wrong. Um, a really passive aggressive email, really embarrassed by it. My Karen really came out. Yeah, I was like, Karen came out to play. Yeah, and Josh has got like all these body problems. And I was like, oh, man, like I think I was just feeling so guilty that I'd bought this couch without really looking at it. So yeah. really I had myself to blame. Anyway, I sent it off and I didn't get a reply. And 10 days later, I get this package in the mail from the same company. I was like, what? I didn't order anything else from them. And it was like this fabric care kit. But in the fabric care kit, which is so lovely of them to send, I didn't order it. I think they've done this as like a, you're an idiot. Please read the instruction manual. They sent me an assembly guide. They sent you a, a very passive aggressive reply by sending you yes. instructions. Yeah. So <laughs> in the package care kit it, it was an assembly guide I was like why do I need an assembly guide 10 days later there's nothing to assemble literally couches came with all the pillows on them it was like pristine beautiful I was like we don't need an assembly guide I open it like oh crap maybe I've missed something like I have it because I'm perfect but you know maybe <laughs> I've missed something and like in the assembly guide it's like okay turn the couch upside down under the couch, you'll see a zipped compartment which holds the leg of the couch. And I was like, fuck. I turned my couch <laughs> upside down. I was like, oh, Jesus Christ. Here's the zip compartment. Here's the legs <laughs> that attach to the couch, which make it 10 centimeters higher. There's my 10 centimeters. <laughs> and I was like, I just sat there like, oh, God, you've really done it this time, Gat. <laughs> yeah, thinking about the email that you sent. Oh, you sent me a faulty lounge. Here's yeah. a picture of me measuring yes. it. Yes, <laughs> like, what the fuck, guys? <laughs> I made so much of these goddamn lounges. And you know how Eeyore on Winnie the Pooh just, like, mm. hangs his head in shame? 
That's yeah, why I you felt. do a little Eeyore. Yeah. Or when a dog farts and they hang their head in shame. Mm. That's <laughs> they scare themselves. Yeah. Like, and they freak right. themselves out. Oh, anyway. So I sat there putting the legs on their couches and I was so embarrassed. And Josh is like, oh, you sent an email to them. And it was a really passive aggressive one. You deserve it, Karen. I was like, fuck you, Josh. Anyway, that was I love my that. really embarrassing peak that has pit sorry and my peak is actually I had a beautiful 30th birthday party which big props to Ames and my other girlfriends and Joshi sending me up a beautiful birthday it was so nice I had some friends over and I got to squeeze and hug my friends and eat delicious food and drink wine so I had the best 30th birthday even though I'm 30 which is terrifying I got to, yeah, spend time with my friends and family and I got a beautiful bike as well. Ames and Josh and Georgie and Jazz bought me a bike, which I'm so fun to zoom around the streets in. So, yes, that would be my pit. Yay! (sighs) And embarrassing peak. What about you, Ames? Talk to me. What was your pit and peak of the week? I'm also going to steal your peak and say that my peak has been your 30th birthday. It was so much fun just to be in the sun and eat cheese and bickies and drink cocktails and squeeze people and just be like silly. I feel like we were were really Mm. silly that day and just laughing and I've really missed that. Mm. Just, oh, it was just so great. And to see your new house and celebrate, yeah, you turning 30, which is such a milestone birthday. It was just so lovely. It was just a really, really lovely day and so much fun. So that is definitely my peak too. My pit is short and sweet, but also a little bit embarrassing. When I was on a Zoom call with a client, Mowgli, my dog, usually sleeps behind me. I have a little bed for him in my office and he just kind of chills out there all day, keeping me company. Anyway, Mowgli is quite a loud farter for a dog. He has a lot of flatulence and he, yeah, he passes wind. I don't know how to say farting nicely. Passes wind, gas, gassy. He's a gassy boy. He's a gassy gassy boy. Anyway, his farts are like human farts because they have a, they have a sound, like they're like a little trumpet bum. Anyway, so I'm having this really serious conversation uh, with, with a client and we're just about to go into a mindful meditation practice. So it's very quiet. Anyway, Mowgli decides to be gassy and pass quite quite a loud toot. And <laughs> I looked a bit shocked um, because I was like, oh, no, w- what if this person has just heard that my dog's farted? And then I was like, oh, no, what if they think it's me? <laughs> so then because <laughs> I was like, oh, gosh, like I don't want them to think that I've just, you know, let go of my <laughs> – my bowels during sessions. I was like, you're very relaxed, James. Maybe you were just relaxing yourself. I promise it wasn't me. So then I was like, oh my goodness, I'm so sorry. My dog's just farted. And then proceeded to show them my dog that was sleeping and farting. I mean, like it wasn't me. And then I was like, oh no, do I look guilty? Do I now look like I'm blaming my fart on my dog? Yeah. You, you definitely do. So look it was good. a real spiral. Um, and then, yeah, it was, it was just, yeah, one of those moments where it was like, oh gosh, um, where you kind of look like you are the one that smelt it, mm. dealt it type of thing. Yeah. You framed yeah. Mowgli in a crime that was essentially. <laughs> it was not my crime. It was not my crime. Oh, I know Mogs. He's stinky. He is. And he also does this thing where we have um, tiles and he'll, he'll sit down and 
<laughs> fart. And um, his little farts vibrate on the tiles and they sound even louder. <laughs> so he would just sit there doing these little toots. It's so funny. Oh, my gosh. Mugs. Yeah, so that was fun. Yeah, that's <laughs> that's all I have for you. Nothing like a bit of a giggle. Nothing. I'm sure the client thought it was quite funny. And that's a mindfulness practice, you know, a bit of a laugh can help you to mm, regulate. That's right. It's, and that's exactly, that was my intention the whole time. I did it on purpose. Mm-hmm. I said, Mowgli, three, two, one. And he did. It's very well trained. <laughs> You've got him well trained, my friend. <laughs> oh. Alrighty. Oh, Ames happens to the best of us. I know, I know. We are jumping into an old school Q&A this episode. We are trying to keep it short and sweet. We have a few questions that have popped into our DMs recently. So we have just randomly selected a few to answer and if we haven't got to your questions in this episode we are going to try and be a little bit more consistent with Q&As and get them out a little bit more often for you so that all of the beautiful questions that you do send to us we see you we hear you and we do our best to answer them either throughout other podcast episodes or or in our Q&As so please know that we we have a long list that we've written down Mm. and if Mm. if we haven't answered you in in this Q&A we will get back to you in a future Q&A. Yes thank you everyone for writing in your questions we will be more consistent with Q&A we always say that about our episodes sometimes (laughs) life just hits us but it is expected that we will be a little bit more consistent now we are both full-time at the pc which is exciting so we will be meeting and making a bit of a plan for the next few episodes so any suggestions feel free to dm us for next season amazing all right darling dog fighting ames (laughs) can that please not be my name um no Mine can be oh, Karen. Right. You can all call right, me Couch. No, all right, Couch Leg Cat. Oh, or just Karen. I felt like such. <laughs> no, I won't call you Karen. You're not a Karen. Oh, I don't know. Alrighty, first question, Ames. Depersonalization. What is it? Good question. I think one perspective or one way to understand depersonalization is through the lens of trauma, shock. <laughs> Sometimes when our brain and body is under stress uh, or our environment is not safe, our organ will protect ourselves by fleeing into a little internal world. So when it is not safe to flight or fight, which are some of our other protective strategies or or part of our safety response, often depersonalization is referred to as dissociation or, or can be similar to dissociation. One way to understand it is dissociation is kind of like a broader, more general disconnect from experiences, interactions, sensations. It kind of feels like uh, going into autopilot, kind of being here but not actually being here, feeling very disconnected from what's going on in your world. Depersonalization, on the other hand, can be seen almost like the contrast or, or, or an opposite. So your sense of reality will remain, but your sense of self is is where that disconnection sometimes lies. So it can also feel like you're in a little bit of a daydreamy state where you experience, you know, some thoughts and feelings and sensations, but maybe you feel a little bit foggy. Some people describe it as having an out-of-body experience, again, kind of being that here but not really here. 
our experiences not feeling real. Some people also describe it as like they're watching a movie of their life. So depersonalization specifically is really about that disconnect from self, which can be a very protective, adaptive response to trauma or stress. One thing that can be really helpful if you do notice those signs and symptoms alongside therapy to kind of get to the root or understanding you know, where this response developed and understanding that a little bit more is, is really helpful. Any kind of movement. So when we are in that autopilot, dissociative, depersonalization state, uh, we're essentially in a dorsal vagal or a hypo-aroused state in terms of our nervous system. So we've, we've kind of shut down. It's the opposite of fight-flight where it's like acceleration, you're getting ready for action. We've, we've shut down to, to rest, to kind of, yeah, when, when nothing else is safe, disconnection and, and we've shut down. So gentle kind of movement, things like stretching, walking, isometric movement, like pushing on, on like squeezing your palms together, squeezing your thighs together, anything to kind of bring yourself back into your body, back into the here and now can be very helpful if you do kind of notice you go in and out of that daydreamy-like state. Mindfulness, of course, is really, really helpful and it doesn't have to be sitting in a quiet room, you know, omming. Um, mindfulness can be, again, going for a walk and just noticing what your surroundings are or it might be mindfulness practiced in the shower. It might be as you're sipping on a cup of tea, noticing the warmth of your tea, noticing the feeling you know, as it goes down your throat, just being, you know, being mindful while you eat, just being mindful just as a, a, a consistent daily practice can also be helpful. There's also something called energy tapping that can be helpful. And, and I won't go into the whole thing of, of what energy tapping is. If, if you are interested in it, it might be something that you can look into, but uh, one little technique that I often use with clients is to tap from your your thumb and each finger. So starting from your index finger, tapping to your thumb and tap just tapping a couple of times and then down each finger until you get to your pinky. And again, it just has a, a similar theory behind it in bringing you back into the here and now, bringing you back and giving you something to focus on when you are experiencing that real disconnect from self. But I think really just seeing it as an, an adaptive strategy. You know, our organ is very, very wise and our body and our mind is very, very clever. And when we have limited resources in our environment and we are experiencing a lot of stress, we will disconnect to keep ourselves safe. Mm, yeah, absolutely. It's really, really clever way that our brain learns to keep us safe. And I think one thing that I've noticed with depersonalization or dissociation is it's 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 not that you're losing touch with reality. It can feel like that. It's it's not a psychosis as such. It, it is just a coping strategy. And I think people who experienced dissociation, depersonalization, and then derealization have this idea of, well, what, what's going on for me? Is this, am I having, you know, am I totally out of loss of touch with reality? And does that mean something more? And I think I will just say that 
if this continues and if it increases in duration or severity, then it's definitely worth looking into. If this is more of a passing thing that happens less frequently, then it's not really a cause for concern. It is just your body's way of coping. It's just another coping mechanism. And yeah, as Ames was mentioning, those mindfulness strategies will be you know, wonderful in helping to just have a bit of a reality check. I think reality checking is important here coming back down to earth as such a little in in a way. Uh, also, it may come from this sense of Ames was saying is loss of sense of security or safety. So mantras that you're safe, that you're secure, that you are your own safety. Also reaching out to things that do feel safe, whether it be a loved one, whether it be something that's even familiar. Our brain perceives familiarity as safety. Watching a movie. So yeah. that might be, you know, something as simple as watching, watching, yeah, watching a Disney movie that you love, listening to songs that are familiar, reading your favourite book. So these things are really wonderful self-soothing strategies because your brain will perceive familiarity as safety. So keeping those things in mind will be helpful too. But if this continues, as Ames and I always say, it will become a cause for concern or maybe something that needs further intervention when it starts to impact on your daily life. So if you notice that you are dissociating more or feeling that loss of sense of reality more and more, if it's impacting on your work, on your ability just for your day-to-day functioning, then it might be time to reach out for some support. Beautiful, beautiful. Love, love those tips, Kat. Question number two is a really interesting one. Co-parenting with a narcissist, what pearls of wisdom do you have for us, Katniss? Okay, really good question. And firstly, I want to acknowledge that co-parenting in itself is difficult with someone who displays narcissistic tendencies, makes it just that little bit more difficult. I think it's great to acknowledge where you're at. It's great to acknowledge where your partner's at. I think it's more important to acknowledge where your child is at in, in all of this. I think it's just be mindful of labels and the way that you think about someone with narcissistic personality disorder. It may look on the surface someone who's really self-centered, has an inflated sense of self, but it is really important to remember that either a diagnosis of MPD or even narcissistic traits, is a legitimate mental health condition. And it's certainly not something that may on the surface seem, you know, I know it seems really harmful, but just reminding yourself that this person is likely someone who's experienced some trauma and struggling. I'm not justifying behaviours of MPD, but just having that acknowledgement can be helpful in co-parenting with a narcissistic person or someone who displays these traits. So I, I think... When we speak about co-parenting, co-parenting in itself is, I I think, something that can be helpful is just having some control and management over a bit of, you know, boundaries or knowing when your child is seeing that person, knowing when you have the child. Just, I think, having some clear boundaries and routine. I think when dealing with someone who's narcissistic, their behavior can seem quite inflated or low and have those really ups and downs. So I think having some, you know, good routine for your child as much as possible will be helpful. I think when speaking about this topic, it's not going to be that you need to be perfect. I think near enough is good enough. I think it's about also Mm. having your own support system. I think that's a really important tip is 
I guess when talking to a narcissist, it's easy to feel that they might gaslight you, they might manipulate you, they might be emotionally abusing you or even worse, physically abusing you. Obviously, if there is any mm. abuse in whatever form, then you always will call in your support system or you know triple zero if there's high risk there for you or your child. But it's easy to feel that you've done the wrong thing. It's easy to feel that guilt. I think that's what narcissists do try. They, they, they're seeking out your reaction more than anything. So having a support system will help you feel mm. just keep you in check with what's real and what's not real. I think that's, I guess that's something that you can feel when talking to a narcissist is like, oh, you start to question yourself. You start to think, oh, have I said that or have I done the wrong thing here? Especially when it comes to parenting, there's so many doubts with parenting. Add on maybe someone who's manipulating you or making you second guess yourself can be quite challenging. So a support network will just really help to have someone to bounce off and someone to talk to. Also therapy, we always mention this, but having an objective outsider to look into your situation to make sure you are supported and the situation remains as neutral as possible. I would also say these are all just really practical strategies, but I think it's helpful in co-parenting to have some tools in your toolkit. Just really keeping your child front of mind, trying not to speak ill of your partner in front of your child. Your child mm. you know, may have a very different relationship than what you do with the narcissistic person and they do you know, really want the love and support of that person as much as possible. So trying to cultivate that relationship as much as possible. Something that also can be helpful that I was actually just thinking of is, is supporting your child through I guess, emotional regulation strategies through resilience with routine changes because I guess when your child is in the care of someone with MPD, I guess it's the unknown. You're not sure what their routine will look like. You don't know what's been spoken to your child. So I guess something that can be helpful is just uh, keeping an open space for your child to come and talk to you but also helping them with some, you know, if they notice they feel a little anxious or angry or just out of sorts, just giving them some tools so when they are in the care of someone else or your your ex-partner, they have some strategies in their toolkit. You know, oh, I'm, I'm feeling blue today. I know, Ames, you mentioned that in another episode. I love that, is giving their feelings a colour if they can't get to it. Children often can't identify feelings as quickly as what we can. So, you know, maybe it's helping them with, you know, when I feel sad or angry, maybe I have some strategies in my toolkit so I know I can use that when, you know, mum's not around or dad's not around and I'm with someone else. So, that would be some really practical tips, but I, I think above all, it's boundaries, support system, your own therapy, and just putting that child front of mind. That would be my very quick recommendations. It's a really tricky thing. I think any relationship with anyone who displays NPD or NPD tendencies. So being kind to yourself that you're doing the best that you can with, with what you've got. What do you think, Ames? Mm, absolutely. I think they are all such wonderful tips and I really agree with what you're saying around children and really making sure that there is no, I guess, criticism or – maybe. Can, yeah, but I, I guess that, you know, it's not saying, you know, you have a narcissistic father or mother. Mm. You don't want to label the other parent because narcissism is a spectrum. Mm. I think knowledge is key here as well. So understanding that narcissists actually have an unconscious fear of abandonment 
but fear are meshed or being controlled by others. So someone who develops the quiet type of narcissism or covert narcissism was probably abandoned or constantly demeaned and rejected in primary caregiving. They could also have been devalued and thrown away by a primary caregiver because this fear is so buried inside their true self or their authentic self of someone suffering from narcissism, it almost becomes non-existent. Okay, so the narcissist denies their fear and compensates by this development of a false self, um, which is what we encounter, it's what we experience. So they oftentimes don't even know or they're not aware of the manipulation tactics. These are all unconscious behaviors that are adaptive defense mechanisms for past pain and so I actually think it's almost near impossible to co-parent with a narcissist it can, it's it's not impossible but I really agree with what Kat's saying that you will need a, a a very good plan you will need a lot of support around you because narcissists feel very threatened when you try and take control and they're used to calling the shots. They're used to being in control of everything. And they demand, you know, respect and people in their life to really please them. And so oftentimes when we go against what a narcissist is is wanting, it yeah, it doesn't go down very well. So I absolutely recommend setting boundaries. I also recommend having a third person work with you during this. So like Kat was saying, whether it be you know, I think multiple people is really good. So triaging, having maybe a couple's counsellor or a family therapist work with you to have, like I was saying, a really objective lens of, of how this would look for you, considering, yeah, your child's needs, the needs of each parent, what are the most important changes you hope to achieve? You know, is there anything that you've tried in the past that has worked for you both? Again, what support do you both have? Focusing on on that is really, really important because narcissists usually do tend to struggle a lot with taking responsibility for their actions, control, uh, power, imbalance. So when we look at co-parenting, it, it is all about you know things being equal and having equal power and equal control. So that can be really, really difficult for a narcissist. Again, it is a spectrum. So someone with, you know, more of that covert narcissism or on the lesser end of the scale might be able to do this very effectively, but someone with more malignant narcissism or, or NPD would find this really, really challenging. So even things like boundaries are, are very, very challenging. So I would definitely, alongside everything that Kat has said, mm. I would actually recommend involving someone neutral, someone objective, and someone who is specialized in understanding narcissism. So whether it be yeah, a therapist, uh, a psychologist, someone that really understands how this behavior or how this relational dynamic can become quite unhealthy to work with you both uh, and, and also su supporting the child. I think that that would be just yeah something to keep in mind as well. Perfect. Love that, Ames. Great tips. Alrighty. Next question. Okay, we probably only one have more. time for one more. <laughs> Guys, we're trying this thing called shorter episodes and <laughs> it is tough. It is, it is. Next question. Tips on identifying panic attacks. Okay, identifying panic attacks is something that, yeah, it's not as easy as one would think. Uh, often people might describe panic attacks as feeling like it's 
just a tight chest and heavy breathing, whereas others might experience it as having feeling like it's a heart attack. So, you know, panic attacks can be on a spectrum and they're not as yeah easy to identify, especially if you're someone who suffers a panic attack more internally than what others might. So something I guess really for those that don't know or haven't experienced a panic attack, panic attacks are sudden periods of intense fear and they often do include a few symptoms. So these symptoms can feel like they come out of nowhere and typically subside within a few minutes. However, panic attacks can continue for longer than that. Physical symptoms might be things like feeling like you can't breathe, heart palpitations. People describe it like it's like you're having a heart attack. Sweating, trembling, chest pain or just chest tension or heaviness. Nausea, feeling dizzy or lightheaded or feeling numb or tingly. It might be shaking. And your psychological symptoms might be things like feeling a bit of loss of sense of reality, feeling as though you almost feels like you're leaving your body. You feel like you are losing control. You may be worrying about having a heart attack because it certainly does feel like that. Another thing that can come up for when you experience you're having a panic attack is feeling like you're going crazy or that nothing's wrong, you're making a mountain out of a molehill. Others may experience this fear, like, you know, you may feel like you're dying. Often panic attack is more common in those who suffer from health anxiety because it's exacerbated by increased attention to our body and our body's symptoms. So key features of a panic disorder or panic attacks are your avoidance and your safety behaviors. So if you are someone who does suffer from panic attacks or panic disorder, you'll notice that avoidance is a strategy that you use to make sure that you never have to experience a panic attack again, which is for the most part, not easy to do. Often they can come out of nowhere. So avoidance is when you miss out on the fun or important experiences because of your anxiety. For example, missing out on going out with friends because you're worried you'll have a panic attack at the bar or in social situations. Safety behaviors uh, are things that you do rather than avoid that you do to feel less anxious. So for example, instead of going to the bar on your own, you ask a friend to come and meet you at your house to go to the bar together. So both avoidance and safety behaviors will lessen your anxiety briefly, making you feel better in the short term. But actually what happens in the long term is they prevent you from actually overcoming the fears that you may have and that can keep your panic attacks or panic disorder going. So behavioral strategies and cognitive strategies to almost help you to stop the things that make your anxiety worse in the long run will have a really good impact here. So working through the avoidance and safety behaviors and maybe some slight exposure therapy and improving your relaxation strategies and your sense of safety. So that's how you would identify and I guess understand panic attacks and panic disorders. It is, as Ames was saying in the last question, your body's way of perceiving threat and turning on that fight or flight your body maybe feels as though something's wrong in your environment so like any anxiety disorder it's about coming back to soothing your body it's knowing that this will pass that your panic symptoms aren't dangerous even though it feels it I think that's the thing with panic attacks is it feels like something's really wrong and it's I guess when giving advice in panic attacks is if you feel as though something is wrong, then do seek medical advice. But 
often if you notice that this happens a lot and it, it may just be more panic attacks, then reminding yourself that you're safe, that these aren't dangerous, that this will pass and often increased attention to your body or increased attention to the anxiety can actually make the panic attack worse. So it's about, uh, you know, engaging in some relaxation strategies, having some mantras, having a support person with you, learning your triggers, learning what's happening in your body. And I guess as well, understanding if there is, if it's happening more often than not, or if you notice any patterns of your panic attacks, maybe there's other things in your life that maybe need looking into, whether it's your stress, are you experiencing any concerns in your relationship? It's maybe just looking into the other parts of your life that could be causing this. And mindfulness as always is wonderful. 54321 method is really fantastic for panic attacks. So yeah, panic attacks is identifying it, understanding it, and some quick strategies to work through. But as always, we need to say this at the end of every question is seeking therapy. If you notice this is happening a lot or it's becoming unmanageable, what do you think aims? Beautiful. I think the only other thing that I will add to that is a panic attack can also mm. be a one-time occurrence. So although many people experience repeated episodes and recurring panic attacks, you, you can also have like a situational or a specific situation that induces feeling of panic or a panic attack. So it doesn't always mean that you have a disorder. Uh, it, it can also be a reasonable response to a stressful or terrifying situation. So I will just add that as well, or a panic-inducing situation that triggers our body's fight-flight response. I also think something called dialective behavioural therapy DBT tips, uh, which we have on our Psychology Sisters Instagram. We have a really beautiful post that goes into a little bit more depth here, but basically it is tea for temperature, so cooler temperatures to shock us back to safety. It really triggers our vagus nerve, which is the nerve that goes from our brainstem all the way down to our lower back, and that sends messages to our brain to cool down. And so cooler temperatures really activate that vagus nerve, inducing our rest and digest or our parasympathetic nervous system, which is our, our brakes slowing down our, our nervous system. So that can be helpful. Intense exercise doesn't always work when we're panicked, but it, it, it can be helpful for when we start to notice our body really becoming hyper aroused. Intense exercise can almost make us feel like we've completed the stress response and, and get, you know, use up some of that adrenaline and cortisol and release some of those feel-good neurotransmitters like endorphins that can really help us come into a calmer state, paced breathing can be very, very helpful and progressive muscle relaxation. So tensing and releasing, tensing and releasing and pairing breath or pairing affirmations with that as well. So like Kat was saying, I'm safe, this will pass, uh, things like that can be very, very helpful when Working through a panic attack, which can feel awful, like a big wave that, you know, consumes you. But yeah, I think really understanding that, like Kat was saying, like we have been saying, it is just our body's way of responding to a very stressful situation. And I think that is all we have time for. Yes. Yes. Guys, thank you so much for tuning in. Next episode, we will be speaking all things catastrophizing. <laughs> we'll be doing a bit of a mini series. We just decided Yay. just then, but we're going to go with it. <laughs> 
on cognitive distortions. So stay tuned for that. But thank you guys so much for tuning in. We love your questions. Always feel free to DM us. We are getting quite a few DMs a lot more lately. So bear with us. We do take a little while to write back, actually. Yeah, I'm so Aime. sorry. So thank I'm you so, so much for monitoring. No, thank you for monitoring that inbox. It is a very busy inbox. So we do see you. We just may take a little while longer to I respond. will get back to you within the month. <laughs> we need a PA. <laughs> I, think, I think it's time we start to need some help. But guys, thank you so much for tuning in. We'll be back in two weeks' time talking all things catastrophizing thanks so much guys we will see you or we you will hear from us (laughs) in the next episode (laughs) bye bye Thanks so much for tuning in to today's episode. If you're not already, please follow us on Instagram at The Psychology Sisters. We are also now providing online psychological sessions. For more information, please follow us at The Psych Collaborative. See you next time.